Back in May, we introduced a, a couple of ladies in the church who we were announcing on an interim basis were going to be leading the children's ministry. And that was uh, Nacelle Preby and Sherry O'Day, and they have been doing a splendid job, wonderful job. Yeah. This, um, this morning, I, I want to introduce someone to you beginning in January. Uh, we're going to have a full-time children's pastor yeah. here. And uh, would you welcome Kim, Kim Walker? Come on up here. I, I, I said make her feel welcome. Yeah. yeah. Kim... Uh, Kim actually is currently living in California, but she's seen the light. She's on her way here. And uh, I'm just going to let her tell you a little bit about herself. All right. And I am not that Kim Walker that sings. Okay. So I sing with kids. That's that's the fun part. But um, now it's so good to be here. Um, I just going to tell you a little bit about myself. I um, was born and raised in the Bay Area in California. Um, my parents came to know Jesus when I was about six years old and um, raised me to know him. When I was in middle school, my father started a Bible study that grew into a church. So strange time to become a pastor's kid, but then <laughs> middle school, yes, I did. And um, at that time, of course, you do a little bit of everything when your dad's a pastor, but I started teaching the kids. And I loved it because when I was little, I had a lady who loved to make us enjoy church and just let us to know Jesus. So I wanted those kids to know the same. So I served um, for many years um, and uh, worked in business as I graduated. I had um, two daughters. I have two daughters, um, 23-year-old Lauren and 24-year-old Brittany. Brittany is the one with the curly hair, and Lauren's the one who is blonde right now. So <laughs> they're beautiful, lovely girls who, um, who I just adore, as I do uh, ch most children. I raised them as a single mom um, since Brittany was five years old. And um, about 13 years ago, um, God called me into the ministry, and I started um, helping out at a church um, as a position and told them I'd do it for one year, and then... Ten years later, I didn't stop, and um, I uh, took a little break from kids just to do adult ministries, um, doing connection for the last three years. It was scary for me because adults are scarier than kids, but, um, but I am so thrilled to be here in this season, to be serving with your kids and the families here at the church, and I'm just excited to see what God is going to do in this next season. I know it's a great foundation. Margaret did an amazing job, and Nacelle and Sherry have done an amazing job, and I'm just glad to be part of the team. Thank you. <laughs> okay. And uh, you are invited to actually talk to this woman after, after, after the service, and you might even volunteer your services. We'll just, let's see. <clears throat> yeah, whatever comes along there. Good morning. Advent too. Yeah. Uh, a Christmas Carol. One of my favorite shows. I've <laughs> only done this role five times and, and, and directed it to others, but it's a, 
Uh, but it doesn't grow old because it's such a great story. Uh, so would you stand with me? We're going to read one verse of scripture that I'm not going to reference again. But hopefully it will stand on its own merits as to why we read it. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Father, thank you for the days that you have given us. Thank you, Father, for the eternity that you have given to us. I pray, Lord, that you would teach us today, that you would help us to have a light shine on the path that we are walking, that you would give us a heart of wisdom to understand how we should live. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. In 1843, uh, Charles Dickens wrote a Christmas carol. How many of you remember 1843? Uh, yeah, Charles Dickens wrote a Christmas carol. And it was published on December the 19th. And by Christmas Eve, the first edition had completely sold out. Um, I, uh, I imagine if you had a first edition... <laughs> that publication, you'd probably have something. Um, and Mr. Dickens didn't make a great deal of money off of this, even though it was uh, wildly successful. I think that first year it had something like 19 publications. Uh, but he didn't make a lot of money off of it because uh, there was another publisher who bootlegged it. And uh, he took them to court and sued them and won, but they declared bankruptcy and so he didn't get anything. Uh, it just cost him a lot of money. That's, that's how some businessmen get rich, is by declaring bankruptcy. But uh, it's never been out of print since, and Mr. Dickens got quite a bit more than money out of it, uh, because here we are over 150 years later and still talking about the guy. It doesn't look like it's going to slow down anytime soon. Uh, it's been the basis for more films and plays than any other non-sacred text in the history of the world. Uh, it simply has. How many of you have actually read the book? Okay, quite a few. How many of you have actually seen this, uh, seen a production, a play, a movie or something of it? Yeah, uh, almost, almost everybody. And those of you who hadn't, should. <laughs> like today at 3.30 or next weekend at the latest. Uh, so most of you know the story. Um, and so, but what, what I want to do, to, you know, there's, there's, a, there, there's a year's worth of sermons in this, in this story. There absolutely is. And so I hope you're planning to be here for a long time uh, this morning. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a joke. We'll quit laughing here in a minute. Uh, actually, one, one, uh, one year at Advent, I spent the whole Advent season teaching uh, from this story. But today we're just going to focus on uh, some very specific things. And uh, those of you who know the story are aware that Mr. Scrooge is visited by a ghost. He's visited by his former business partner, Charles Marley. Uh, Charles. Jacob Marley. It's been a long week, folks. I just want to tell you. Uh, the ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, ghost of Christmas yet to come. And we'll start off with, with Christmas past. And when this one comes to visit Scrooge, he asks, you know, long past? And he's going, no, no, your past. You, uh, you, you have a past. Many of you have Christmas memories, hopefully good ones. Uh, 
probably not exclusively good ones, but, but, but hopefully they have been. And, uh, and Scrooge did as well. And, and looking back at these things that happened, he could maybe learn something. And, and the scene that I want to focus on is uh, Scrooge fell in love. He was, he was in love. How many of you know the girl's name he fell in love with? Oh, yes. It rings a bell. Uh, and that's, and that, the name just simply means beautiful. And so he fell in love with Belle. Uh, but the scene that I want to look at is the one where she breaks up with him. Anybody ever had anybody break up with you before? Yeah. Hurts like the Dickens. <laughs> yeah. Okay, stop. That just came out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> But it didn't hurt Scrooge because of the, it actually hurt Bell in this particular, particular time. And uh, after a long betrothal, Bell finally returned Scrooge's Ebenezer's ring to him. And, uh, and she says, with a full heart for the man you once were. We all change. We all, we all go through, through phases. And in particular, as we get older, we, we tend to change. I had a friend, a pastor friend, uh, a, a young pastor friend, uh, several weeks ago asked me, he said, you know, why is it with pastors when they, when they get older, they tend to either get, and I knew where he was going as soon as he started that. They either tend to get really hard and, 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 um, and, and tough, or they, they tend to get, you know, just kinder and sweeter and, you know, more like Jesus? Yeah, more like Jesus. I say, it's not just pastors. It's everybody. It's people that, that go that way. My friend Randy Ray, uh, who most of you are familiar with by now, uh, he, he would say, you know, being a Baptist, he, he's got a phrase for it, that you either get bitter or you get better. And he said, I got a theory for why, why people go one way or the other. He says, those who have stored up their treasure in heaven, get better because they're getting closer to their reward. And those who have stored up their treasure here on earth, they're the ones who get bitter because they can feel it slipping away and they know they really don't have anything. And I'd have to agree with him. I think he's right. It says over in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. And, and, and this, is, this is the problem uh, that happens so often, especially in our culture, uh, because our culture is so materialistic. People come to Christ, but they keep their hope here. They keep, they keep their treasure here. Their focus is still here. And, and I don't mean here in terms of on other people. I mean on their, their stuff, what the, what the world's got what they need to do in terms of the world. And Ebenezer had put his hope and his treasure in this world. And she says to him, the master passion, gain. It's taken control of you. It's taken control of your life. What is your master passion? I mean, if you don't have passion, then life is kind of meh. 
But, and so most of us have passion on, on some level. And so what is it that, that turns you on? What is it that gets you going besides coffee in the morning? You know, what, what, what is it that, that you want to live for, that you want to do? Well, in Scrooge's case, it was make money and get stuff. And then in a lot of our cases, it's make money and get stuff or have more stuff. Not a very good master passion. But, how, but in all honesty, I mean, let's just be honest. How many would, would like to be rich? Yeah, how many would like to get rich? Good. Trick question. <laughs> Those who want to get rich fall into a trap. Temptation. Many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. How many of you want ruin and destruction in your life? Yeah. But we don't put those two together. We kind of go, well, I want this, you know, and then we get it, and, and, and we go, well, what happened? Well, the Bible happened. The truth, we, we ran smack dab into truth, and guess who's going to win that, that battle every time? Truth will win it every time. And so Ebenezer argues when she says, you know, the master passion gain his, he argues, he says, well, th this is the way of the world. This, this is the way that it works in the world. And she doesn't argue with him because it's true. That is the way it works in the world. But she says, I think one of the strongest lines in the play, you do fear the world too much. You fear the world too much. Fear foils love you know, in our lives. Perfect love casts out fear. Well, guess what fear casts out? Love. When fear has us by the throat or is controlling our lives, we, we, can't, we can't open to people. We can't be vulnerable. We can't take a chance that, you know, well, they might not like me. They might, I might get hurt or something. <laughs> I uh, um, was looking at the, the I, I was kind of anxious to see the photos for the show. And, uh, and uh, uh, Jim Caldwell and David Warren both did an excellent job. And they got the photos out to us last night. And I was looking at the photos and I went, who is that old man? Ah, I think that's me. <laughs> that's not what I see when I look in the mirror. It's because I'm not paying that kind of attention, I guess. Yeah. But fear, you know, they're not going to, we don't open ourselves up. So we can't love or, or be loved. And fear foils freedom. Fear causes us to build walls. Fear, fear causes us to, to, to put up barriers to, to, to keep out the things that might hurt us. But the thing is that the walls that we put up and the barriers that we put up to keep things out keep us in. They become our prison. We're not, we're not able to venture out beyond them. And the truth is they don't keep the enemy out either because the enemy is the one that helped us build them. 
Raise a hand. Can I get a hallelujah to that? I mean, a, an amen. I mean, this, this is good stuff, folks. Just in case anybody doesn't know. Fear foils our relationship with God. Foils our relationship with God. Can't do, uh, you know, God says, hey, do this. Uh, I'm, I'm scared. Can't do this because I'm not free. I can't do this because I have fear in my life. Christian, I've come to realize even more uh, as I've gotten older that Christianity is, is a relationship far more than it is uh, a practice. I mean, it's good to practice Christianity. It's good to practice. But if all you've got is practice, if all you've got is you've, you know, you kept some rules and you don't do that and you, you did do that, and you, you don't have much. Because that's not what he calls us to. He calls us to a relationship. Calls us, calls us to be involved with him. But we can't be w- with, with fear. The writer of Ecclesiastes sums it all up this way. He says, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commands, for this is the duty of all mankind. His commands are not burdensome. They don't weigh us down. They don't, if all we, all we do are keep what we think are the commands, we're no better than the Pharisees. We are Pharisees. His commands don't weigh us down. They lift us up. They cause us to walk light, lighter. Instead of heavier. If you fear the world, you won't fear God. And if you fear God, the good news is you won't fear the world. Okay, so what, what the world thinks? Eh, all right. Uh, what the world says, are oh, you better prepare for this? Well, I'm, uh, he's got it. No matter what may come. My way. He's got it. So anyway, okay, that's Christmas past. And then he's, then he's visited by Christmas present. And uh, I, just like the, the, I just like the sound of Christmas present, especially if you put an S on the end of it. <laughs> but it, it, is, uh, it is, you know, the most joyous part of the, of the play, uh, for quite some time, and 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 in that uh, in that section of the play, they revisit a couple of characters from the from the first scene in, in their homes. They visit Bob Cratchit, uh, who is Scrooge's. Uh, I don't know what Bob does for Scrooge. Actually, he works for him. But but they they visit his home. Uh, but then uh, they also visit the the home of Scrooge's nephew Fred, and uh, Fred is. Uh, is a delightful character, uh, and when they, when they come to his Fred, Fred in the in the first scene has come to visit Scrooge in his office to wish him a merry Christmas and to invite him to dinner, and Scrooge is pretty nasty to him. He doesn't he, he you know I don't want to hear this merry Christmas stuff. I I you know I'm not coming to your house for dinner. Just just get over it. Uh, and so in the in the Christmas present scene, they're in. Um, Fred's house, and Fred is telling all of his friends about what he what happened the day before, and they're all laughing. They're having they're having they're having a great time, and the scene is so much fun that even Scrooge doesn't want to leave. 
Uh, I mean, when it's over, he's going, no, wait, wait, I, I, I don't want to leave. And he goes, well, the laughter is at your expense. And he goes, I, I know, but, but this was fun. This was good. Uh, and you can tell the guy's getting better already because when you get to the place where they laugh at you and you go, this is fun, then you're a lot freer than you were before when it's all about, they laughed at me. You're beginning to get outside of yourself. You're beginning to, to, to turn outward the way God turns. The enemy turns this way. God turns that way continually. And so Fred says a couple of things that I want to, uh, that I want to touch on. And the first one is this. He's talking about his, his uncle, and, he, and they're, they're toasting him at the end of the scene. Uh, and he says, uh, they're, and they're wishing him a Merry Christmas. And he says, he wouldn't take it from me, but may he have it nonetheless. Over in uh, John chapter 3, John the Baptist's disciples come to him. And they, uh, and they come to him and they go, Rabbi, you know that guy you baptized on the other side of the Jordan? The one, I mean, the, the dove came down and you, you announced him and everything. You gave him his start. Okay, he's baptizing people and they're going to him. He's cutting into our business. It's exactly what they're saying. And John's, this is John's finest moment. Because a man can only receive what's given to him from above. You heard me say, it's, I'm not the Messiah, he is. And then speaking of powerful lines... He has to increase. I have to decrease. That's what needs, that's what needs to happen. When I came <clears throat> back to the Lord in my mid-20s, uh, this was back in, in 75. But, you know, I, as I look back on, on my parents and the way they were uh, during the time that I was running from God as far and fast as I could. So I look back on it. <clears throat> I really didn't appreciate at the time just how great they were because, I mean, uh, let, me, let me just tell you all something over here. Uh, yeah, get, okay, off the phones, look at me. Uh, yeah. They always know what you're doing. They always know what's going on. You, you don't have any secrets. You, I mean, you think you do, and, and I thought I did, and your kids will think they do, but they don't. You don't. They know what's going on. And my parents knew what was going on. And it had to break their heart. But they stayed with me. Stayed with me. Every step of the way. And when I finally did come back to the Lord, I, uh, I, it, my dad was, was an associate pastor at a church in downtown Nashville, uh, Belmont area. And I, I went to a church in Hendersonville. Uh, and there were two reasons why I did that. One was because uh, my best friend growing up in the church went to church there. And then the other one was if I went to that church downtown where my parents were, I, I just knew it was going to be, oh, you know, he's, he's come back, you know, oh, that's, that's and I, I, I didn't need that. You know, I just couldn't, I didn't need that kind of spotlight or pressure or anything, you know. And my parents were great about it. I mean, it had to, it had, there had to be kind of an, oh, 
You know, he's not going to come with us. But they were great about it. We have a tendency sometimes to think, well, if I'm not involved, you know, if, you, if you're not going to take it from me, you don't get it, buddy, as far as I'm concerned. But the generosity of spirit to say, he wouldn't take it from me, but I want him to have it anyway. I mean, really, you can only have what's been given to you. And, the, and who, who, what's up with needing credit? I'm not talking about your FICA score. I mean, you know, what, what's up with needing the credit for something? Uh, the praise of man is fleeting, and, and most of the time it's false, which I guess makes it a good thing that it's fleeting. God will sort things out. Uh, you know, he, nothing that you do for him goes unnoticed. Nothing that you do right is going to get lost somewhere. You know, he, uh, the, the mess-ups, he'll cover over with the blood of Christ and remember no more. But everything you do right, bam. It's right there. The only way you can lose it, the only way you can lose credit for it is to get all your credit here. That's the only way you can lose it, according to the Scripture. And, and talking about the Messiah, Isaiah 42 says that he will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. Well, what does that mean? It means he, he's never going to go, look at me. This is a nice vest, isn't it? <laughs> you know, he's, ne he's never going to go, look at me. I, I, I'm the one. I did that. Yeah. No. In fact, most of the time, you hear him saying, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody about that. Yeah. A couple of, of exceptions, and he had reasons for them, but most of the time. And then one other thing that Fred says during this scene that I think really is is powerful. He's talking about going to his uncle and he says this, every year I intend to go to him and say, Merry Christmas, uncle. And then they, and then they, they close up the scene by saying, and every year he will say, bah humbug. Yeah, but I'm going to go anyway. Why do we give up? Why, why do we give up? Why do we give up on people? Uh, Isaiah 42, where it's talking about the, the servant of the Lord. Not only will he not cry out in the streets, but it says, a, a, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not put out. And, what that, and, and that's not about you know, plants and, and candles. It's about people. So when he comes across somebody who's who's broken, when he comes across somebody who's wounded, when he comes across somebody that it would be very easy to say, oh, well, that one's done. That's not what he says. That's not what he does. He goes, no, let's, 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 see, what, let's, let's see what we can do here. Let's put this back together and, 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 uh, and take care of it and nourish it and see if it can't, see if it can't actually grow again. And the tough one is the, is the, <laughs> is the smoking wick. Hey, you ever smelt, you know, after uh, you blow the candle out or whatever, uh, and there's this little, you ever get over that and just smell that aroma? Yeah, it doesn't smell like sugar cookie anymore, does it? it, it, it it's, it's pretty nasty what it smells like. And some people are like that. 
And the easy thing to do would be to go, just stop that. But that's not what he does. No. He might look and see, ooh, I think there's a little bit of, come on, let's see if we can get this going again. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Fan this thing back into flame. Let's, let's smell that sugar cookie again. You know, let's get some light, some glow in this room. Why do we give up? Our God doesn't, our God doesn't give up. Why do we give up on ourselves? We have a tendency to do that. Uh, discouragement. Uh, when, I, when I first went into the ministry, I, I heard people say, all oh, the three things that, that really get ministers, you know, power, sex, and money. Those are the things that will bring you down. Uh, well, they'll, they'll bring you down, but that, none of them are the biggie. The biggie is discouragement. That's the one that washes people out. Not just of the ministry, but of life. Get discouraged. Give up. Jesus has said, the reason, that I the reason I'm saying these things to you is so that you may have peace in me. Look, it's going to be hard. It's going to get hard in this world. But take heart. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Yeah. Why do we give up on God? He never gives up on us. Isaiah 65, 2, the Lord says, All day long I have held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good, pursuing their own imaginations. Anyone resemble that remark? All of us. And yet, all day long, his arms are held out, ready to receive. I'm not going to go to the ghost of Christmas yet to come because we don't know. We don't know what that's all about. But I want to go back very quickly and touch on Jacob Marley. Uh, Jacob is often overlooked as a ghost, but that's okay. Uh, he brings Scrooge the good news. You will be haunted by three spirits. Oh, that's... Wonderful. Wonderful news. <laughs> uh, often it is the unpleasant things in life that bring about the most beneficial results. I love to have fun. <clears throat> Let me just tell you, I, I, fun is on my agenda. I, I, I think it's great. I am not opposed to fun. When I first came to the church here 31 years ago, it took me six months to get anybody to laugh on Sunday morning. And I think if you go to church and you haven't laughed, why go? You know, there, there, needs, to be, there needs to be some of that. Uh, but the hard things are the things that shape us. They're, they're the things that bring about fruitfulness. They're the things that, that bring about change in our lives. If we'll let them, bitter or better when they come. And Jacob brings a stunning truth to Ebenezer. Something that Ebenezer hadn't really thought about because uh, Jacob Marley's talking about the fact that, oh, I, you know, I've missed so much. I, I, I didn't do what I should have done. And weary journeys lie before me. I'm trying to make up for it. And he, he goes, oh, but, but you were a good man of business. 
And Jacob says to him, mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water. The comprehensive ocean of my business. We were not put on earth to keep records and go places and make things. We were put on earth to love people. That's what we were put here for. To to experience that, to, to love and to be loved first missions trip that we ever took here at this church, and I say we, I, I didn't actually go on it, Bruce, Bruce Coble led it, was to Asheville, North Carolina, of all places. Yeah, and, uh, and they, uh, there were several families that went with, with Bruce, and they, uh, they went to work on the home of these two uh, brothers who lived together, and I would say elderly. They seemed elderly at the time. I understand they were in their 70s. That is not elderly. I, I didn't know it then. I know it now. Uh, but uh, they went to work on the home of these, these two brothers. And it was, it was a shambles. Uh, Gary, you went, didn't you? Yeah, well, Rena, yeah. Uh, so you can verify what I'm saying or you can correct me after it's over. Uh, but, but the home needed a lot of work, uh, and not just work, it needed some cleaning, a little bit of cleaning. Yeah, and, and from, uh, from what I was told, I think the, the back porch was falling down a hill or something, and so they, they worked on that. There may have been some plumbing issues and things, and, um, and as far as the cleaning was concerned, I understand there was a room that was full of basically clothes and dog feces. Is that basically what it was? And, um, uh, and I think the kitchen might have been in bad shape. And I even understand that there might have been, uh, you know, a little bit of let's clean and let's go throw up. Let's clean and let's go throw up. Uh, and, uh, and apparently for the first few days, uh, there was a little bit of grumbling among the group about how can anybody live like this? I mean, you can, you can imagine. I mean, it, you know, it's not just that group. You would think the same thing, right? I mean, you just would. But they, there were some children who were on the trip as well. And, and these two, these two uh, brothers, the older brothers, as I understand the story right, one of the brothers was mentally challenged, and the other one uh, had been a baseball player. And he, he had been in the minor leagues working his way up, and his brother, I mean, his mother had called and said, you got to come take care of your brother. So he gave up his career and came and had spent his life taking care of his brother. And there was a, a woman and her daughter also who lived there. Was the daughter mentally challenged? They just needed help. Yeah, and so they, they were staying there as well. But the children got to know these people and began to connect with them. And the adults began to realize, wait a minute. We're not here to fix a porch and clean out a, a kitchen. We're here for these people. Let me tell you what else happened. There was one gal on the trip who had not talked to her mother in over 20 years. And it so profoundly impacted her. That truth so profoundly impacted her. She went home, called her mom, reconnected with her. Yeah, That's why we're here. Mankind is my business. 
Common welfare, charity, mercy, forbearance, benevolence. It's not the widgets that I make at work. It's not how many sales I have. It, it's, it's the people. That's what it's about. 1 John 3.14 says, We know we have passed from death to life when we start loving folks. Because we have love for each other. Anyone who doesn't love remains in death. My favorite scene in the play and uh, is at, at, I mean, I, once Scrooge gets to turn things around, that's fine. But I, I love when he goes to his nephew's house, to Fred's house, to apologize uh, for what he had said about Christmas and what he said to Fred the day before and to ask if it was okay to come to dinner. I mean, it's, it's a sweet scene. Uh, and the conclusion really is this. I, it's when Scrooge says, I've wasted many years, Fred. But I don't intend to waste any more. Let's get started. Let's get started. There's no reason to waste anymore. There's no reason. I mean, you know, uh, depending on what, uh, what you've heard today, there may be some things that you kind of go, man, I wish I could go back and do a do-over. You got a do-over. It's called today. God, God offers mulligans. I mean, they're, they're, they're right now. Uh, in, in Isaiah 118, come, let us settle the matter. Uh, though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be white as snow. Though they're red as crimson, they, they'll be as wool. You, you can start right now. And he says over in, in 44, 22, I have swept away your offenses like a cloud. Your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Don't hesitate. You don't, you don't have to wait. You don't have to put a thing out there on the collar and go, well, you know, maybe at that point I'll, I'll do that. Um, in, when, when the plagues were in Egypt and the frogs came and, and, and frogs were everywhere and Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, uh, all right, uh, we'll, we'll get rid of these frogs since you're going to let the people go. When do, you want to, when do you want us to do it? Pharaoh goes, tomorrow. Duh. What's wrong with like right now? Let's get rid of, I, I, I want to spend another night with these frogs. No, right now. Come to him. He will receive you as the father received the prodigal as he received me. That's why Christ was born into the world. That's why we have this season is so we could find redemption so we could be received.